Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. Good to worship together. We're on a new series on facing the cross. So this morning we're going to talk about regret. How many of you have dealt with regret recently? I had it this morning. I uh, First thing I do every morning, it's a habit. I get up, I put the grounds into my coffee ninja, and then I put the water in, and then I put the cup underneath the dispenser, and I go into the other room and wait till I hear the ding. And I know the coffee has been brewed and it's been poured into my cup and I'm ready for that hot cup of coffee to start going through my veins and kind of get some energy going. I did the same thing this morning. I, I put the grounds in, I put the water in, I pressed the button on Rich Brew because I wanted a strong cup of coffee. Went to the other room, started to review my message for this morning and then I went to go get my coffee I'd made a mistake. I didn't put the coffee cup underneath the dispenser. So instead of drinking the coffee, I was wiping it off of the counter before my wife got up in the morning. Well, we deal with regrets, and the Bible has a lot to say to us about how to handle regrets. So let's pray. Father, you are a great and awesome God, and we thank you that your grace today can overcome the regrets of tomorrow. And so as we go into your word, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear as we deal with this topic of being stuck in regret. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Regrets. Well, we face them, don't we? Well, we're on a series called Facing the Cross. And over the next four weeks, we're going to deal with four situations, four individuals, four groups of people whose decisive issues in their life came to -to face-to-face with the most decisive and important event that ever took place within the world, and that is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking about that the next four weeks leading up to Easter. And the first thing that we're going to see is the face of regret and dealing with those issues in our lives where we're stuck in regret and Regret can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. They can be big, they can be small, they can be short-term and long-term. I heard of a guy who I read about this, he regretted that he had took sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. Uh, lesson learned, that's a short-term regret, but it's a, it's a significant one. But you know, you've got regrets, you take your lumps and you move on, okay? I won't do that again. But then there's regrets that are go deeper. They last longer. They're tougher to remove. They almost feel like this stain within our soul that just can't, we just can't get rid of. Sometimes maybe it's a word that we would take back that kind of brought a relationship onto a downward spiral. <clears throat> maybe it's an opportunity that we didn't seize that we wish we could have another crack at, but It's no longer there, and so we live with the regret of that. Maybe it's an action or it's a sin 
that we've been facing the consequences of for a matter of time and we wish it could be undone and we go back and we replay the issues, the situations, the circumstances within our minds and we wish we could have a reset, a redo, a mulligan if you will. And sometimes those regrets go deep within our thinking. We hear about the message of the cross. We hear that Jesus loves us and he forgives us and that his grace of today can forgive us of the regrets of yesterday. But sometimes we reason to ourselves, you know, maybe God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard anyone say that? Sometimes the regrets are related to other people's choices. We regret maybe the choices of a loved one and maybe a a dark and difficult path that they're going down. And we wonder, could I have done more? Could I have been there more? Could I have prayed more? Could I have been uh, better this or done more of that? And so we have this sense of guilt that maybe it's our fault that we didn't do enough to help that friend or that loved one. And so they're going down the path that they are. But as we come face to face with the cross, we're going to look at a man who faced the deepest level of regret that anyone has ever faced. His name is Judas. His name is synonymous with faithlessness and betrayal. And through the eyes of Judas, as he comes face to face with Jesus, in the situation that led Jesus to the cross, we're going to understand that our regrets can be resolved not through remorse, but through repentance. And that God's grace for today can overcome the regrets of yesterday. So if you have your Bibles or you're looking in your phone, if your Bible on your phone, we're going to be in three different passages, Luke 6, Matthew, uh, John, Luke 6, John 12 and Matthew 26 and 27. Luke 6 and John 12 and Matthew 26 and 27. We're going to start off in Luke chapter 6. So as you're turning there, let's talk a little bit about Judas. There are eight different people called Judas within the New Testament. And seven of them are really bummed that they have that name, okay? (laughs) Judas was not a popular guy. In fact, could you just imagine if your name was Judas and you were in that New Testament time and and, uh, somebody says, oh, you're you're Judas. No, no, I'm not that Judas. I'm a different Judas. And there's a reason why we name our children such names from the Bible as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, but we don't name our children Judas. Because that name has become synonymous with betrayal, and not just betrayal, but a betrayal of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, there's evidence, and I'm going to point to this, that some people in the New Testament who had the name of Judas sought to get a name change, a name reboot, because there was such a shame attached to that name. So I want us to look at three truths about Judas, and then what that tells us about overcoming regret. So if you're in a note-writing mood, the first truth is this. Judas was called. Judas was called. He was called by the Savior. Luke chapter 6, and we have this by way of the screen 
I think our screen says Luke 12. That's a mistake on our part, my part rather. That should be Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. Let's start in verse 12. It says, One day soon after, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples. Notice he called all of his disciples. There's perhaps hundreds or thousands of people he could draw from. He called together this large group, and out of this larger group, he chose just 12 of them to be apostles. And the apostles are a group of guys that he would bring close to him who would have the key responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus after his death and resurrection. These are the main guys that he is going to pass on the baton. These are the main guys that will carry the torch of the good news of Jesus Christ. He is picking 12 elite guys. And so here are their names. Simon. And notice that in every list where the 12 disciples or apostles are mentioned, whether it's in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, Simon is always mentioned first because he was kind of the spearhead. He was the ringleader. He was kind of their key guy, initiator. So he's always at the top of the list. Then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, verse 15, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot. Verse 16, Judas, son of James. Now this is not Judas Iscariot, this is another Judas. And in the other list where these disciples are mentioned, Judas is not named Judas, he is called Thaddeus because it appears that he wanted a name change. He didn't want to carry the name of Judas anymore. And then at the bottom of the list is Judas Iscariot who later betrayed him. And Judas Iscariot is always at the bottom of every list where the 12 apostles are mentioned. And the reason is, is because he ended his life in absolute failure and shame. And folks, it leads us to understand this truth is that you can start bad, but it's not how bad you start, it's how, it's how good you finish. And you can start good, but finish bad. And folks, it doesn't matter how you've started, what matters is how you finish. And Judas started well, but he finished bad. And maybe you've started bad in your life, but the real issue is, how do you finish? Now, think of the people who are with Jesus. They were with him for three years. And that includes Judas. And they got to spend day in and day out with Jesus. Judas was amongst the twelve, and he saw Jesus perform all these miracles, these healings. And he saw him calm the waves he saw him do all kinds of diseases of people who were cleansed of leprosy. He saw people raised from the dead. He sat underneath the teaching of Jesus. Could you imagine being taught by Jesus? And the Savior says, okay, let's go to the book of Daniel, boys. And I want to take you to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want to tell you what it was like to be there. Because I was the fourth man in the fiery furnace. And you see the story right from the Jesus who lived that, who orchestrated the whole Old Testament. Judas had saw Jesus forgive people. 
and offer them mercy. And people had no hope in a future. Now they had a future and they had a, a reason for living that they did not have when they encountered the forgiveness of the Savior. Judas had had so many meals with Jesus and sat across the table in conversation with him. He could ask Jesus any type of question, any type of struggle. He could go to Jesus for counseling. If he needed prayer, he could go to Jesus and Jesus would stop and he would pray for him. For three years, he knew the Savior. And Jesus loved him and served him. And there on the night before he was betrayed by Judas, Jesus knelt down and he washed Judas' feet. as a slave and a servant showing that there was still hope of repentance. And when Judas had betrayed Jesus, the very last words that Judas heard from the lips of the Jesus was the words, friend. And he is looking at him and saying, even though you're betraying, you are still my friend. And beyond this, there is still hope for you to repent and to come to me for salvation. And I ask a question, did Jesus make a mistake? In choosing Judas? Of all the hundreds of people, of all the people on the earth, did he make a mistake in choosing of these 12 a guy who would betray him? Did he get his wires crossed in that evening of prayer? And I don't think so. Because Jesus carried out the perfect will of God. It was over a decade ago. I was in another church hundreds of miles from here in another state. My family and I were on vacation, and toward the end of the vacation, I was very sick, very ill, and Brenda was driving, and I just wanted to, to get home and, and just go to bed and crash. You know, you just kind of, kind of that kind of sickness going on. And so I walked in the house, I'm ready to crash, and the phone rings. And on the other end of the line, as I answer it, is the wife of a guy who's in my church and over the last several years, he's become a very dear friend to me. I've been discipling him. I've been pouring, investing into him. He's been growing in his faith, and I've been promoting him in the ministries of the church. And, and up to a point, he's been doing a really good job. But his wife tells me that her husband and my friend has been involved in this horrible sin. At that moment, I stopped being sick. At that moment, I... Just the adrenaline kicked in, the endorphins or whatever. I don't remember being sick. My, my body went into this kind of overdrive, if you will. And I had a major crisis. And I met with this guy on the next day. And over a period of three months, I worked with him. He didn't repent. And he continued to progress and to go into sin that would have devastating consequences to his family and had real implications for the church. And the good news is, is that we follow the Bible, me and the leadership, we stay close together. And so for the church, it ended up for God's glory. But for my friend, it ended tragically. And the issue is, is did I fail? I look back at that and I'm thinking, is there things that I could have done policies I could have put in place, precautions that I could have established that would have prevented for this from happening. And I don't think any more than Jesus could have done for Judas. And folks, just because somebody fails, who you've loved, who you've invested in, 
does not mean that you have failed any more than Jesus has failed when he chose and invested and loved Judas. Second truth is this, Judas was in community. Judas was in community. Not only was he close to Jesus, but he was with the other 11 disciples and they were a band of brothers. For three years, they lived together, they worked together, they ministered together, they were a team. Have you ever been a part of a team, a sports team? For several years, you're competitive and you grow tight with those guys or those gals as you practice and you're on the court or whatever it is and you have these experiences together. Maybe a military unit and you grow tight with those band of brothers, a work team, a ministry team. These guys were a part of the most important team that had ever been formed. It was a team that was going to bring transformation to the entire world. They were kicking this thing off under the leadership of Jesus. I believe Judas started out very sincere. He was part of those that Jesus sent out two by two on mission to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom. And all of them came back and they, they proclaimed the miracles that God had done and Judas was a part of that. In fact, watch this. Judas was one of the most highly trusted of the 12 disciples or apostles. He became the financial officer of the entire group. The Bible says that he carried the money back. He was the treasurer. And so he had the distribution of money. He would take money in and he would distribute it out. And so there had to be a conversation amongst the apostles Who's going to be the treasurer? Who's going to take care of the finances? And the person of your group that you choose to do that is always somebody that is very trustworthy and above board. And at some point, the apostle said, hey, it's Judas. He's the guy we can really trust. He's the guy we can really count on. And folks, that says to me that he had a lot of trust. There was a lot of sincerity in his life from the start. But something went wrong. And so we go to John chapter 12. And here it's six days before the Last Supper, before Jesus is betrayed at the Last Supper, seven days before he is crucified. And is there that Jesus is with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary takes this half a liter of expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair as an act of worship. In verse 4, John tells us how Judas at this point responds. And again, notice this is six days before the Last Supper. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It is worth a year's wages. And he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, as a treasurer for the ministry of Jesus, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It would be in between this time of that Jesus' feet is anointed with the perfume and his betrayal six days or seven days later. That Jesus goes to the priest of the temple who want to kill Jesus and he agrees 
to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And friends, 30 pieces of silver at that time wasn't a lot of money. It was about five weeks worth of wages. And this was not about the money, but this was about something even bigger, something even more deceptive that I think is relevant for us to understand. And it leads us to the third truth of our story, and that is Judas was calculating. Judas was calculating. Go over to Matthew 26. Hang a left. Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 20. And Jesus is at the Last Supper, the very supper which we commemorate when we take communion as we do so with the elements this morning. Verse 20 of Matthew 26, it says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were sad and were eating. And he said, They were sad and they began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him not to have been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Surely you don't mean me. Back when I was in graduate school at Asbury, said under a professor, Dr. Robert Mulholland, who's a New Testament scholar. And he made the systematic case, and I have not seen anything to refute it since, that when Judas betrayed Jesus, it wasn't for the money because there wasn't enough money in it. The 30 pieces of silver really didn't amount to a whole, a whole lot, especially for the crime that is being committed. Judas rather was a revolutionary. And he had signed on to follow Jesus because he wanted Jesus to solve all the problems of Israel. He wanted Jesus to fix the problems that were happening within the Jewish religious culture. He wanted Jesus to be a Messiah, not who would die on the cross, but who would overthrow the government. And so when that wasn't happening, Judas calculates a plan where he wants Jesus to come face to face with the authorities of the Jewish religious system, the authorities of the Roman Empire, and when coming face to face with a conflict that is inevitable and push comes to shove, he in essence wants Jesus to go into the telephone booth, come out with this big S on his chest, and to have this major smackdown of all the enemies of Israel. And this is being done because he's setting up and calculating a situation where he is forcing the hand of Jesus into a conflict where Jesus will engage and he will fight and he will overcome. And folks, when we are disappointed with God, it is for this reason. It is because we follow the Savior toward our own ends. We want Jesus to do this. We want Jesus to be this. And when we're disappointed with God, it's not because of the terms he's established within the word, but it's because of the terms we've established him to be within our own expectations. So we hang a right over to chapter 27. And things don't work out exactly as Judas has planned. 
Chapter 27, verse 1, it says, Early in the morning all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. And so they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Notice he has this remorse. Verse 4, I have sinned, for he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied? That is your responsibility. Verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. His calculations didn't work out in the way that he saw. And he ended up betraying the Savior. And it says that he had remorse. And folks, when you have remorse, you have remorse because you believe that you have broken a standard and you believe that you have broken a level of righteousness that you cannot fix. But Judas did not have repentance. And repentance is when you believe you have broken God's heart. And you come to God for His forgiveness, for His mercy, and to be restored to the relationship. And I want to ask you, if Judas had remembered the words of Jesus that he came to die for sins, if he remembered the words of Jesus that he came to be a servant and to give his life as a sacrifice, if he remembered those words and he would have hung out and he waited for the resurrection of Christ to occur and he would have presented himself to Jesus, would Jesus have forgiven him? Would Jesus have restored him? And the answer is absolutely yes. Just as all of the other disciples there at the Last Supper would betray him, Peter, the ringleader, did it three different times. And all of the other disciples had repentance, but Judas had remorse. The famous celebrity personality, celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain, who had committed suicide a year ago, the age of 61. He had this tattoo that was on his arm, and it read like this. It said, I am certain of nothing. He was interviewed by Men's Journal in 2014, and he was asked this question. How should a man handle regret, and what's your biggest regrets? And here was Bourdain's reply. He says, regret is something you just have to live with. You can't drink it away. You can't run away from it. You can't trick yourself out of it. You just have to own it. I've disappointed and hurt people in my life, and that's just something I'm going to have to live with. You eat that guilt, and you live with it, and you own it, and you own it for the rest of your life. And Judas had that same mentality. With that guilt and that regret, he said, I have to own it. I have to live with it. I have to drink with it. And I can't do that anymore. And so he tragically ended his life. But the gospel is this, is that our regret will never be resolved through our remorse, but it is resolved through repentance. When we come back to a relationship with God, and we ask for the forgiveness of sins, and we seek to make corrections 
and to follow God in obedient relationship with him. Well, let me tie a bow on this and let me give you a couple of encouragements on how it is that we deal with regret as we face the cross of Christ. The first encouragement is this. Do not hold on to regret for the choice of others. Do not hold on to regret for the choice of others. I see this lesson pretty loud and clear as I look at the life of Judas. There's so many of us that we hold on regret because of the choices that other peoples have made. People that we love, people we've invested in, people we've been friends to. And they make choices and they go down this dark and this difficult path and we see where that's leading them and it's wrecking their life and it's wrecking their faith. And we think, you know, if I would have just done more, had I been there more, had I prayed more, had I loved more, had I followed up more, had I called more, whatever it may be, and we have this sense of regret and guilt. And folks, in our relationships, if we blow it in a relationship, we need to apologize, we need to make amends, we need to make the corrections to make that relationship right. But in my experience, in most cases, when we're carrying that kind of guilt, there's nothing we could have really done. It's like the case of Judas. Could you look at Judas's life and could you say, you know what? He didn't have enough people to love him. He didn't have enough people to care for. He had Jesus. Can you get a better friend than Jesus? Can you get somebody to love you more than God himself? I don't think so. Maybe you would say, oh, he needed better Bible teaching. I don't think so. He was in the seminary of Jesus Christ for three years, wasn't he? You don't get better teaching. Jesus is a living, breathing, walking word of God. The class size wasn't too big. It was only 12, okay? And so that wasn't the issue. Well, he should have been a part of a better community. He didn't have enough people supporting him. Wait a minute. Pick your New Testament author. Who's your favorite? Peter, John? They were there. He could have chatted with them. He had a great community that he was a part of. And folks, Judas made his choices because Judas chose to make his choices. And only he is responsible. And this is a warning to us that it is not enough to belong to a church. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. It is not enough to be under great Bible teaching or good Bible teaching. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. It is not enough to hang out with Christians. You've got to follow Jesus Christ. It is not enough to be doing good things and to be involved in ministry. You've got to believe and follow Jesus Christ. And it is a fact that sometimes we trust our Christian lifestyle more than we trust Christ. There's a difference, isn't there? We can belong, but do we believe and do we respond as followers? In our mission statement, we say that we at Crossroads are passing on an obedient relationship with Christ to our community. And the key is, is an obedient relationship with Christ. And no one can choose that for you, and you cannot choose that for another person. So do not hold on to regret for the choices that other people have made. Number two, 
Do not hold on to regret for what God has forgiven. Do not hold on to regret for what God has forgiven. Remorse says I broke the rules. Repentance says I broke God's heart. And when you come to repentance, because you want to be restored in a relationship with God, what God has forgiven, he forgets. And he cast our sin away as far as the east is from the west. And maybe Judas was at the place and he had seen people forgive, Jesus forgive so many times. People caught in adultery, people who had committed incredible desecrations against the law. And Jesus forgave. But Judas didn't think, well, maybe Jesus forgave, but I can't forgive myself. I can't live with this. And so sometimes we make a statement like this, God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself, right? And because of that, we still live with regret. But I want to ask you a few questions. When you or others make that statement that God has forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself, is your standard of judgment and forgiveness higher than God's? God, who is the ultimate standard of holiness and righteousness and purity and judgment, if he says you're forgiven, do you have a standard that is higher than God's? Second question, does your view of yourself overrule God's view of you? When God says that I love you, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you have been made a new creation, I accept you as my child. If he says that of you, why does your view of yourself overrule his view of you? And the issue is, is that we need to let go of the past by accepting the grace that God gives us today.